Okay, folks, we're back, and this is Pastor Eli James uh, with Dan from Georgia, and we had to restart the show because of a bad setting. So now uh, we were going to start with uh, Joshua chapter 22, but I just want to make a couple of quick announcements here that, uh, number one, uh, we have been able to obtain the recordings of Bruce McCarthy when he was on Republic Broadcasting Network with his show Datum Line, which is a show about the Bible and the U.S. Constitution. And so uh, uh, his widow uh, very graciously sent me the, the, those shows. And, uh, and Paul has worked on those, edited the commercials out of them. And so we are now going to be broadcasting those on Eurofolk Radio. The very first scheduled broadcast will be this coming Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern, okay? And also, uh, he's planning on uh, uh, picking a time slot on Wednesdays for uh, another episode, and uh, there will be rebroadcasts of both of those. So uh, the details, uh, I'll, I'll give you those details uh, tomorrow, but since we're short, We've already uh, gotten 10 minutes into our allotted time here. I'll announce that tonight on Restoration Hour and over the weekend as well. So these are a- absolutely astounding lessons on the Bible and the U.S. Constitution. Uh, Bruce McCarthy had become an advisor to people who are in legal trouble with this corrupt legal system we have and was able to advise them how to proceed in court proceedings, and he himself was very successful in uh, fighting off the uh, the corrupt judicial system we have today. Anyway, so uh, just want to make that quick announcement. So, Dan, over to you. Joshua 22. Okay, I'll start over again since uh, yeah. I guess everybody missed the first nine verses. Right. Chapter 22, then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And said unto them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of Yahweh your God. And now Yahweh your God has given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, gave you on the other side, Jordan. But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of Yahweh, charged you, to love Yahweh your God and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side Jordan westward. And when Joshua sent them away also unto their tents, then he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, and with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren, And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed, according to the word of Yahweh, by the hand of Moses. Okay, so uh, it appears that that these two and a half tribes were... Uh, that were not able to settle in the land that they wanted to. They had to assist the other uh, tribes in taking over the land of Canaan. So they were fighting alongside their brethren of the other tribes and eradicating the these Canaanites from the land of Palestine. Okay, so but then when the fighting was over, they were able to go to their inheritance, the lot of their inheritance, and claim that territory. Now we all we find when we get to the book of Ruth that when Ruth the so-called Moabitess uh, inhabited that land, well that whole territory was cleared of Canaanites. It also cleared of Ammonites and Moabites. <laughs> there were no such people living in that territory by the time of Ruth. 
for 200 years, okay? So there's no way that Ruth could be a Moabitess by race. That's a territorial word because there were no Moabites or, or Ammonites or any other type of Canaanite. Uh, of course, the Moabites and Ammonites were not Canaanites. They were descended from Job through incest with his two daughters. So they were actually white people and uh, were very much closely, they were Shemites actually and Abrahamites. So, but that was, uh, that was the problem. Actually, I'm wrong because they didn't descend from Abraham. They descended from Lot. <laughs> okay. So, but they were still our kinsmen, uh, by, uh, by, through Shem and Hebrew. They were also Hebrews. So, uh, that territory was cleared, eradicated from all possible Canaanites. And therefore, there's no way, and also Moabites and Ammonites. So, there's no way Ruth was a Moabitess by race. Okay. So, back to you. All right, verse 10. And when they came under the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And, uh, and the children of Israel heard say, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe of Manasseh into the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince throughout all the tribes of Israel. And each one was ahead of the house of their fathers among the thousands of Israel. And they came unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead. And they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of Yahweh, What trespass is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following Yahweh? And that ye have builded you an altar, that ye might rebel this day against Yahweh? Is the iniquity of Peor too little for us, from which (laughs) we are not cleansed unto this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of Yahweh? But that ye must turn away this day from following the, from Yahweh? And it will be, seeing you rebel today against Yahweh, that tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Amen. Not notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of Yahweh, wherein Yahweh's tabernacle dwells, and take possession among us. But rebel not against Yahweh, nor rebel against us, in building you an altar beside the altar of Yahweh our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, Yahweh, God of gods, Yahweh, God of gods, he knoweth, and Israel he shall know, if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against Yahweh. Save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn from following Yahweh, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let Yahweh himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, in time to come your children might speak unto your children, saying, what have you to do with Yahweh God of Israel? For Yahweh has made Jordan a border between us and you, you children of Reuben and children of Gad, you have no part in, in Yahweh. So shall your children make our children cease from fearing Yahweh. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of Yahweh before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your children may not say to our children in time to come, 
You have no part in Yahweh. Okay, so it looks to me like these uh, two and a half tribes are making excuses here, right? Oh, we didn't do it deliberately. It was just, oh, here, it was an altar, and we just, you know, we just, well, that's what people were doing here. Why shouldn't we do it? Well, no, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. Well, what doesn't matter whether you sin deliberately or not, you still suffer those consequences, right? And that's what, uh, you know, Joshua is trying to explain to them. Back to you. Verse 28, therefore said we that it shall be when they should say so to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of Yahweh, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against Yahweh and turn this day from following Yahweh to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices, beside the altar of Yahweh, our God, that is before his tabernacle. Okay, yeah, that's the Levite's job, you know, and uh, that's the only kind of altar or tabernacle we're supposed to have. Back to you. Verse 30, And when Phinehas the priest and the princes of the congregation and heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that Yahweh is among us, because you have not committed this trespass against Yahweh. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of Yahweh. And Phineas still had that javelin ready, <laughs> right? Yeah. Just in case, all right? And Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the princes returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad, out of the land of Gilead, unto the land of Canaan, to the children of Israel, and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. And it did not intend to go up and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that Yahweh is God. Okay, wait a minute. Ed. Ed. Yep. That's, uh, well. What is that? Yeah, I'm looking it up. Uh, Key. K-I-Y in the Hebrew pronounced key. Uh, this is only talking about the particle. Uh, so where does this word go to altar? What well, altar is mizbeach. Okay. Which simply means altar. I'm not seeing a, uh, Hebrew reference word for this word ed. I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't have it in mind. Uh, for it shall be, uh, right, this is a, 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 a got E sword here, unless yep. ED is a reference to the editor, but it's very, that's very confusing. To, that, but you just read it in your version, right? ED. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. It's, and I'm using the E sword version. Oh, you're also modern. using, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, for it shall be a witness between us. So, let's see, uh, that's just the article. Witness is aid, A-Y-D, contracted, concretely a witness, abstractly. So an altar of testimony, okay. Is, Where do you uh, see that? Well, th- that's the whole expression. The altar for, uh, for it shall be a witness. So an altar of testimony is what this phrase is trying to convey. I don't know why this ED is inserted into this uh, into this article. Okay, into this verse. Mm-hmm. Back to you. Okay, well, that concluded chapter 22. Yeah. Now we'll move on to 23. Yeah, so we see here also that the Israelites routinely yeah, refer to Yahweh as also El, meaning, you know, Elohim. The, uh, so the, and he is Yahweh, our Elohim. And in fact, that's how the end verse, verse uh, in terms of a sentence, Yahweh is our Elohim. <laughs> okay. So it often uh, is contracted into a title, Yahweh Elohim. Okay. All right. Back to you. Yeah. Let's go into chapter 23. Chapter 23. And it came to pass a long time after that Yahweh had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. 
And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And you have seen all that Yahweh your God has done unto all these nations because of you. For Yahweh your God is he that has fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for, for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And Yahweh your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them out, drive them from out of your sight. And you shall possess the land as Yahweh your God has promised unto you. Be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that you turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Uh, these words that need he, to be heeded by us today. <laughs> be ye oh, there yeah. courageous in keeping the law, right? Yep. That ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of them, Neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them. Neither serve them, nor bow, bow yourselves unto them. But cleave unto Yahweh your God, as you have done unto this day. For Yahweh has driven out from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man has been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For Yahweh your God... He it is that fights for you, as he has promised you. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves, that you love Yahweh your God. Else, if you do in any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you, know for a certainty that Yahweh your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you that they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land from which Yahweh your God has given you. Yeah, so what was the lesson of uh, Balaam the magician? You know, it, the lesson was the only way that we Israelites can be destroyed as individual, well, we can destroy ourselves individually in different ways, but as a nation is to avoid mixing with the forbidden races. That's all. Uh, all we don't. Uh, that's all we have to do is to avoid miscegenation, and uh, Yahweh will protect us. But no, we have to you know, go and, and practice Baal worship, uh, which includes a lot of race mixing, right? So that's all we have to do: simply obey this law, and the enemy can't touch us. But our people simply because they. they pay attention to Judeo-Christian ministers and to the Jews, uh, well, there's nothing wrong with race mixing. You know, God loves everybody, right? Jesus loves everybody. No, he does not. And he doesn't love sinners either. And if we engage in miscegenation, we become sinners, period. Back to you. They say we're all the same blood. Yeah. I've heard that before. <laughs> yeah, that worse, that wor worse, that word in the New Testament, uh, the all of one blood, that word blood was mm -hmm. inserted into that verse. It's not in the original Greek. That's mm -hmm. trickery, folks. Back to you. Yep. Verse 14. And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which Yahweh your God spake concerning you. Yeah. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which Yahweh your God promised you, so shall Yahweh bring upon you all evil things yep. until he has destroyed you from off this good land which Yahweh your God has given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of Yahweh be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly from off the good land which he has given unto you. So how is it, how could this message possibly be lost by modern Christianity? I mean, it's so blatantly obvious that the entire Old Testament is warning us against racial intermixing with these pagan peoples. I mean, 
How can they possibly? Well, of course, well, we believe in Jesus, not that awful God, Yahweh, who instructed the Israelites to exterminate the Canaanites and drive them out if they couldn't exterminate. Have we lost it? <laughs> we sure have, folks. <laughs> we have lost the true faith. All right. Uh, uh, but, and then, uh, know, Peter, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, in in the book of Timothy, it says, study to show thyself approved. All right. Well, when the book of Timothy was written, there was no New Testament. That's so right. they have to study? All they had to study was yeah. the Old Testament. No, so. they, they had the Judeo churches. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, they were all trying to, who, who was it? Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy who pretended to be a, a prophet and tried to distort the gospel from the very beginning. There were many of these guys, you know, lone wolf pastors trying to impersonate or pretend to be followers of Jesus when they were just uh, promoting their own version of Christianity, right? That was that was true from the very beginning, right? But mm-hmm. then also Peter says, we have the sure word of prophecy. Well, well, you're, again, you're absolutely right. The prophet, He's talking about the prophecies of the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. All right? There, there weren't any prophecies. Well, Yahshua uttered many prophecies uh, when he was walking the earth, but nobody understood what he was talking about. So, <laughs> all right, so the sure word of prophecy is a direct reference to the Old Testament. We can't lose that, folks. Can't lose it. All right, chapter 24. Okay, did you want to get into the article before yeah, we go into chapter 24? Yeah, let's do that because it, it's a reference to Joshua uh, 24.3, I'll post that link to the people in the chat room because this is a, actually a pretty good article. The folks, there there are occasionally there is good work done by Judeo-Christians, <laughs> right? <laughs> they, they don't stumble themselves all over, all over themselves constantly, but sometimes they do good work. Yeah, so please uh, go for it. I was going to say even a broken clock is right twice a day. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Joshua, uh, the name of this uh, commentary is called the Garner House Baptist Commentary. Review of History, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 24. Chapter 24 seems to be a final gathering of the people of Israel to Joshua in his last days, in addition to the gathering in chapter 23. Those said to have been called by Joshua are the same groups as in the earlier call, although here is found all the tribes of Israel, whereas in the earlier chapter is found all Israel, which certainly may mean the same thing. Chapter 24 mentions specifically that Joshua called them to Shechem, the city, the chief city of Ephraim, though Shechem is not mentioned in chapter 23. In the following 12 verses is found the Lord's review of his dealing with Israel, beginning with the call of Abraham, whose father was Terah, Israel's lineage from Abraham back lived on the other side of the flood. This had no reference whatsoever to whatever to do to the deluge of Noah's day. For Terah and Abraham lived nine and ten generations after the flood. The word translated flood is rendered river in other translations and certainly refers to the Euphrates River on the other side of which was Mesopotamia and Ur of the Chaldees. Okay, so point well taken that uh, the possible translation, um, possibly more correct as on the other side of the river, okay? However, uh, I think it's still possible that Joshua is referring to the flood of Noah because that the flood of Noah washed down from uh, the north, down through uh, Mesopotamia, down through all of Arabia and into the, uh, what is it, the, uh, the, the Indian Ocean. That's probably the correct term, the Indian Ocean. And uh, there was, uh, archaeologists have uncovered mud, mud deposits, f- fresh water silt uh, 20 feet deep, <laughs> right, in that area, you know, covering uh, the cities that used to exist there. So it's quite possible that uh, Joshua is referring to that washing down process and when he used the word flood. So I I wouldn't rule that out entirely, okay? Back to you. But this is is possibly a correct translation, but it could be true both ways. Back to you. The Lord took Abraham out of a pagan, idolatrous environment, his fathers having been worshippers of idols. There is a very old tradition that Terah himself was an idol maker. 
The multiplication of Abraham's seed may be taken to refer to the propagation thereof from his day down to the day on which Joshua spoke. There is no reference to Abraham's sons other than Isaac, but there is reference to Esau, the son of Isaac, as well as to Jacob. When the family of Jacob went to Egypt, the Lord was already giving Esau a national home in Mount Seir. Hmm. As Joshua continued to review Israel's blessings from the Lord, he came to Moses and Aaron and their mission in bringing Israel out of Egypt. References made to the plagues by which the Lord persuaded Pharaoh to allow them to leave. The scene at the Red Sea is next mentioned when Pharaoh reneged on his promise and sought to recapture the Israelites, only to have his army decimated by the waves of the sea which overwhelmed them. When in their fear Israel cried out to the Lord, he protected them till they could cross the sea to safety by coming down in the pillar of cloud and to fire to stand between Israel and Egypt. Many still living and listening to Joshua's speech were children and adolescents at that time and were well able to remember this mighty manifestation of the Lord's miraculous power. Okay, uh, I have to correct uh, the author who suggests that uh, Esau was... uh, Put there, uh, put in uh, the land of Edom, you know, uh, by Yahweh. No, he was banished by Isaac and Rebekah for his insolence and refusal to obey Yahweh's laws. Okay, that's the real reason that he had to settle in Seir. Okay, it was not like a oh, he's just you know, Yahweh's just giving uh, Esau another place to live. No, he was banished away from uh, the, the people of Israel because he was a sinner. And a horrible one at that, all right? So, again, so this is a Judeo-Christian version <laughs> of what happened, and that's a huge mistake by the author. Back to you. Yahweh hated Esau. That's He's right. twice. Amen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The account next passes on to the long years of wandering in the wilderness, <clears throat> but does not long dwell on that shameful chapter of Israel's history. At the end of the wilderness wandering, they came into the Amorite country east of Jordan. There, the two mighty kings of the Amorites, Sihon and Og, opposed Israel. But the Lord gave them other spectacular and conclusive victories over those kings. Opposition arose from Balak, the king of Moab, who sent for the soothsayer and false prophet Balaam to curse Israel. He wished to take them from the, take them land which he Claim the Amorites had taken from him. But the Lord turned the words of Balaam into blessing instead. Read of these things in Numbers chapters 21 through 25. Finally, Joshua comes down to the conquest of Canaan. From Jericho, the Lord gave the Israelites successive victories, with the exception of Ai, which Joshua does not mention. Here in verse 12 is mentioned the Lord's use of hornets to drive out the Amorite kings before Israel. Okay, as, a, as, possibly, a, as promised, if we can't do it, he will do it for us. All we have to do is mm-hmm. obey his laws. Okay? Uh, you know what? Uh, we need a plague of hornets <laughs> right now. Okay? <laughs> yeah. H- how about in the bankster, you know, the land of the banksters, you know, Wall Street? Uh, hornets will take care of those guys. All right, back to you. <laughs> This possibility had been stated by the Lord through Moses in Exodus chapter 23, verse 28, and Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 20. Though there is no account of this event, it did occur according to the words of Joshua at this time. So now the Israelites found themselves in possession of a land of cities, vineyards, and olive yards for which they did not labor. The Lord had given it to them. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Uh, yeah, let's, oh, he, he talks also about verses 14 through 24, challenge issued and accepted. Uh, yeah, maybe we should go through that because it's, sometimes it's instructive to, you know, get the Judeo-Christian point of view and analyze it and see where they go wrong. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> the things of this reading include one of the greatest resolutions and challenges in all the Bible. It can be considered in three parts, verses 14 and 15. 16 through 18, and 19 through 24. The first consists of Joshua's challenge to the people and his personal resolution. Joshua has brought the people's history before them in his previous words. 
Now he challenges them to have reverent fear toward the Lord and to sincerely and honestly serve him. This is a call to them to go beyond mere outward formality and ritual, which they were all likely not doing. Joshua's words suggest that there had always been idolatry among the people, for they are told to put away the gods that they had kept among them since the time of Abraham and his brother Nahor. See Rachel's theft of her father's gods, Genesis chapter 31, verse 19. Yeah, we know that's wrong because that's a, a false uh, translation of the word God. It was yeah. actually not her, not idols, but her, her uh, title, title deed to the Laman. land because apparently they had no brothers. Mm-hmm. Okay, Laman had no sons. Uh, Laban, rather, had no sons. And so... What she took was her portion of the deed, right? Her portion legal of the inheritance. Documents. That's right. They were yeah. legal documents. Yeah, please continue. And the gods some of them had clung to since they had come out of Egypt. If it should seem to them wrong to serve the Lord, it was time for Israel to declare whom they would serve. Amen. If they do not intend to serve the Lord God, but will insist on serving the gods of their forefathers or of Egypt, or the new gods of the Amorites, which they found in Canaan, then let them declare it now. Now, the Amorites were Canaanites. They were not uh, descended from Lot. So these these were actual Canaanites. Back to you. But Joshua rises to his great resolution. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not only was Joshua strong to declare his own intent unequivocally, he could also speak as the head of his house for all his household. This is as it should be with all Christian men today. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The second act of the account is the declaration of the people or of their spokesmen. They recoiled from the suggestion that they might forsake the Lord who had brought them from Egypt and given them this good land of Canaan in which they were dwelling. They stood ready to accredit the Lord with having delivered them from the bondage of Egypt preserved them through all their way by his great signs, which they had seen with their own eyes, and delivered them safely to the promised land. How could they turn their backs on him and turn to idle gods? Therefore, they also resolved, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. The third act of closing words of the passage showed the magnitude of Israel's promise, which Joshua understood better than they. Uh, For sure. After having... (laughs) After having just challenged them to serve the Lord alone, he now tells the people that they cannot serve the Lord because he is a holy and jealous God and one who will not forgive them their transgressions and sins. That's right. He will punish us, right? How can Joshua tell them this when he has just challenged them to turn from false gods and serve the Lord alone? Is he challenging them to do something they cannot do? The sequel will bring out his meaning. Under existing conditions among them, they will forsake the Lord, turn to the false gods, and the Lord God will turn upon them, do them hurt, and consume them, although he has previously done them good. Second John chapter 1, verse 8. But the people were insistent that they would, indeed, continue to serve the Lord, and would surely not turn from him to the false gods. Promises, promises. Upon this, Joshua made them witness against themselves that they will adhere to God and shun false gods. Now, Joshua can tell them what they must do if they live up to their resolution. There were already those among them worshiping the idol gods. The people probably thought they were keeping this false worship secret, and the elders were likely pretending that such worship did not exist. But Joshua knew it did. Yes. Certainly, the Lord knew it. The reason Joshua told them they could not serve the Lord was because they were harboring this false religion among them. They must reject it and incline their ear to the Lord to hear only his will. They said, the Lord, our God, we will serve and his voice will we obey. Okay. Yeah, I don't think we need to go into the other verses. Uh, Let's just go back into it. But uh, obviously, this author, being a Judeo-Christian, uh, the good thing about it is he's not a an antinomian, you know, and he doesn't believe the Old Testament is of no value, <laughs> right? So he's clearly referencing and connecting New Testament verses to Old Testament verses, and he understands that sinfulness has always been Israel's undoing. 
he un- understands that. He doesn't talk about the fact that uh, forbidden marriages and race mixing were the real problem with the Israelites back and with Balaam and Balak. He doesn't talk about that. He just talks about their sinfulness. So let's get into Joshua 24 and read it from the identity point of view. Back to you. Okay, Joshua chapter 24. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith Yahweh God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them. And afterward, I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea. And the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto Yahweh, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them, and covered them. And your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt. And you dwelt in the wilderness a long season. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side, Jordan. And they fought with you. And I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land. And I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel. And sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam. Therefore, he blessed you still. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan and came unto Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you, the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drave them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword, nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you built not, and you dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which you planted not do you eat. Now therefore fear Yahweh, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye Yahweh. And if it seem evil unto you to serve Yahweh, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. Okay, so this expression, the other side of the flood, has now been used at least four times, so let me look it up here. It's Nahar, uh, from, it's 5104, from, it says from 5102, which means a stream, including the sea. (laughs) That's clear as mud, so is it a stream or is it the sea? Which is it? Especially the Nile, Euphrates, etc., Figuratively, prosperity, I don't see it used that way very often in scripture. I can't, I don't, I can't think of a single verse that uses it that that way. And then flood river. Okay. So, uh, it could be that because of both the Nile and Euphrates periodically flood, certainly in the springtime, so that they become a virtual sea that this is what the word Nahar really means, but uh, at least uh, Joshua could be, have been using it in this sense, all right? But uh, the, 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 the interposition between stream and sea is really strange, okay? So but maybe that's what the word really means, the fact that these two rivers flood periodically and become a sea, right? Back to you. Verse 16, And the people answered and said, 
God forbid that we should forsake Yahweh to serve other gods. For Yahweh our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And Yahweh drave out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore we will also serve Yahweh, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve Yahweh, for he is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake Yahweh and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he has done you good. And the people... (laughs) Better be good. (laughs) (laughs) And the people said unto Joshua, No, but we will serve Yahweh. And Joshua said unto the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you, Yahweh, to serve him. Yep. And they You're said, liars. We are witnesses. You're just pretending. I don't believe you. <laughs> now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto Yahweh, God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, Yahweh our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of Yahweh. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it has heard all the words of Yahweh which he spake unto us. It shall there be therefore a witness unto you, lest you deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh, died, being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-serah, which is in Mount Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served Yahweh all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, which had known all the works of Yahweh that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem in a parcel of ground, which Jacob brought, bought the son, bought of the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas, his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. And that concludes the book of Joshua. Okay, I'm looking at this unusual word, overlived. Uh, The first, uh, it's got three different words from the Hebrew. The first is arak. A primitive root to be, to uh, causatively to make long, literally or figuratively to defer, draw out, lengthen. So it probably should be translated outlived. Elders that outlived. It's a very unusual word. Okay. All right, folks. That completes our study of the book of Joshua. Very interesting stuff. And uh, they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phineas, (laughs) his son. Okay. Well, okay. Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died. So Phineas uh, figures promptly in the book of Joshua. Very good. Very good. And of course, but Phineas is totally forgotten by Judeo-Christianity and what he did uh, to the Midianites and uh, should be done to, and the Israelite who who, uh, paraded his Midianite prostitute <laughs> in front of all Israel. He, they both deserved what they got, right? Okay, so let's. Uh, we have about uh, eight minutes left, so let's start the book of Judges. Okay, Judges chapter 1. <clears throat> now after the death of jo- Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked Yahweh, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first to fight against them? And Yahweh said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. 
And Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, come up with me into my lot that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. So Simeon went with him and Judah went up and Yahweh delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. And they slew of them in Bezek 10,000 men. You know, they didn't, they didn't uh, start a committee <laughs> to see who, who, who and how we should make battle. No, they just took it upon themselves. Okay, uh, we got a problem here. We need to clean it up. Let's do it. Okay, mm-hmm. so Judah and Simeon, back to you. Verse 5. And they found Adonabizek in Bezek, and they fought against him. And they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonabezek fled, and they pursued after him, and caught him, and cut off his thumbs and his great toes. And, Adab- and Adonabezek said, Threescore and ten kings, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table, as I have done. So God has requited me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem, and had taken it, and smitten it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. And afterward the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwelt in the mountain, and in the south, and in the valley. And Judah went against the Canaanites that dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron before was, before was Kirth-Jetharba. And they slew Shishai and Ahaman and Talmai. Okay, and so, uh, yeah, so uh, apparently since Simeon, the tribe of Simeon, their territory was in the uh, lot granted to Judah. So they were, you know, they were fighting against the Canaanites that were still left in their territory, as we presume all the other tribes would be doing in their territory as well, okay? But it didn't go so well in many of the other tribes' territories, okay? Sometimes instead of eradicating them or driving them out, they took them under tribute, which they were not supposed to do. Back to you. Verse 11, And from thence he went against the inhabitants of Debir. And the name of Debir before was Kirth-Jesaphir. And Caleb said, He that smiteth Kirth-Jesaphir and taketh it, to him will I give Aksa, my daughter, to wife. Oh, okay. (laughs) Here we go again, you know, offering the daughter. Mm -hmm. We came across this in in the book of Joshua as well. So, uh, okay, here's here's the prize, guys. (laughs) Go for it. Kill, kill, kill. Oh, sorry. Maybe I'm reading too much into this. (laughs) All right, back to you. Uh, Verse 13. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, to wife. And it came to pass when she came to him that she moved him to ask of her father a field. And she lighted from off her ass, and Caleb said unto her, What wilt thou? And she said unto him, Give me a blessing, for thou hast given me a soul, hast given me a south land. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the nether springs. Okay, double the portion. Children, nice. Okay. And the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, went up out of the city of palm trees with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south of Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. Uh, no, we're making fun of the situation where uh, where Aksa is uh, the prize for whoever you know slays the, the most Canaanites. But uh, the fact of the matter is, most marriages were arranged anyway. Okay, they were arranged, and uh, neither the uh, husband or wife really had much to say about it. Back to you. Maybe it worked better in those days. Yeah, really. All <laughs> 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 right. Okay. Verse verse 17. And Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that that inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof and Ascalon with the coast thereof and Ekron with the coast thereof. And Yahweh was with Judah and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. And they gave Hebron unto Caleb, 
as Moses said, and he expelled thence the three sons of Anak. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites that inhabited Jerusalem. Uh-huh. Like they but were the supposed Jebusites to. dwelt with the children of Benjamin Uh-oh. in Jerusalem unto this day. And the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and Yahweh was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city. And they said unto him, Show us, we pray thee, the entrance into the city, and we will show thee mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword. But they let go the man and all his family. The word describe means to wander about or probably to scope, to check it out, spy it out. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built the city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants Ah. of Bethshean and her towns, nor Taanach and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ablim and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. Oh, my goodness. Okay. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt in Gezer among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor the inhabitants of Nahalal, but the Canaanites dwelt among them and became tributaries. Neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko, nor the inhabitants of Zidon, nor of Alab, nor of Akzib, nor of Helba, nor of Aphek, nor of Rehob. But the Asherites dwelt among the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land, but they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, nor the inhabitants of Beth Anna. But when he dwelt, but he dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. Nevertheless, the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became tributaries unto them. And the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. Jeez. The Amorites would dwell in Mount Heres in Agilon and in Sheabim. Yet the hand of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. And the coast of the Amorites was from the going up to Akrabim, from the rock and upward. Okay, we're a bit over time here, but uh, I wanted to get these verses on the recording. We'll revisit these last few verses next week. Okay, Dan? Okay, sounds good. All right. All right, folks, thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. Wow. Uh, we got to get uh, these uh, verses back in uh, because the the Israelites did not drive all them out. They put them under tribute. All right. Thanks, Dan. Praise Yahweh. Talk Thank to you all later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, okay. All right. Let me kill the recording.